morning. We are smack dab in the middle of a message series called It Takes More Than Me. And what we've been looking at really is uh, some, some character traits that God possesses himself. These are things that he is. Uh, they're a part of his nature. And how he, when you decide to follow him, you become a part of his family. And what he does is he tries to arrange and work through the circumstances of life to build these things into our lives as well. So we've been looking at how uh, four of these character traits are essential to having good relationships and learning how to thrive in the world. And so those four traits are integrity, love, um, humility, and forgiveness. And today we're looking at humility and forgiveness and how uh, those things really help us keep it together in relationships, personally, one-on-one, and in groups of people. These are crucial for keeping it together. We're going to look at how that is. And the way life works, uh, we, we tend to manage a lot of tensions. And I, I don't want to make you tense this morning by forcing you to think about it. But uh, the way it works is we, we have a lot of tensions that just sort of remain unsolved, sort of like the tension between perfect and good enough. You know, you're working on a project, and there's always more that you could do, especially home improvement. You know, you, I never really paid attention until I bought a house, but I realized, you know, walls sort of go... They don't go straight, exactly. And so you, there's this tension. Well, you know, perfect is, you know, or good enough. But there's another tension between my wants and my needs. You know, I, I really want that. It might make life easier, but do I really need it? Should I spend the money on it? What do I? Uh, another one between too much and too little. You sit down to eat. You know, too much isn't that good for you. You're going to be sluggish in the afternoon, especially at lunch, you know, if you're working. Too little, and you're going to get hungry and start to bog. So, you know, there's this tension. We live with these kinds of things. I could go on and on and on, and I won't, and I'm pretty sure you're grateful for that. Uh, but today, we're going to talk about a real tension that we deal with almost daily, and it's the tension between love and justice in relationships. There's this tension that we face all the time especially with people that we love, but also uh, with, with people that are more difficult to love, you know, those that we enjoy, those that we don't. So how do we resolve this tension in our everyday relationships in a way that's best for everybody involved? This flows out of certain character traits, but to begin with, I'd like to show you a scene from a movie uh, that shows this tension. And it's seen from the movie called The War. And in the movie, a man comes home from the Vietnam War. He happens to be a handsome guy named Kevin Costner, Costner who's playing uh, a character. But he comes home from the Vietnam War, and he's trying to rebuild his life and his family. And as he rebuilds his life, he's trying to help his son work through conflict with a rival group of boys. And they, they run in, into each other in this scene, and I, I'd like you to watch it, and we'll launch from there. Get that piece of junk off the road! 
against our car like that, he got, got a little emotional. You being smart with me? Because if you're looking for a fight, I'll fight you right now. But I don't believe in fighting. I bet you don't. You yellow tailed chicken living wussy. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you see the, the rival group of boys in the back of the truck, and they're slamming into the, the car. I don't know about you, when I watched that scene, I was screaming for justice. Some, something needs to happen. That, that just is, is something else. We're going to actually see how the scene ends in a few minutes. Um, but whenever we're hurt by someone, especially someone we're loved, we love or are close to or relate to a lot... Uh, Maybe not a rival or an enemy like in this situation. There's a tension that confronts us. Maybe attacks us is a better way of putting it. It attacks us. We, we, we love this person. Maybe they're our husband, wife, our child, um, somebody uh, that's close friend, somebody in church life. We, we love them, but boy, they just offended us. And it, that's wrong. I, I need justice. There's something in us that begins to scream. We love the person. We really want to avoid the conflict, the frustration that their words and actions have, have caused, their attitude just created. It, it just w makes us want to get even. And the hurt might come from angry words, a cold shoulder, unfil unfulfilled promise. Maybe we've been disappointed in some way or a disrespectful attitude or, or something worse. When, when we get hurt, when we get offended by others, there's, there's this tension that flares up between love and justice. Especially if you're a follower of Christ, you know Jesus told us to love even our enemies. And so how, how does that work out? How do we resolve the tension? You know, we love these people, we're supposed to love them, and they just... I want to make them pay right now for what they've done. There are several options uh, that we can choose for resolving the tension. There, there are probably hundreds along a spectrum. I'm just going to look at three big ones that are kind of extremes. At least the first two are extremes. Uh, option one would be just to try to pretend the justice didn't occur, didn't happen. And um, we love and value this person, so we want peace. And we're just going to 
We're going to pretend that we weren't hurt by it. We're just going to let it go. And we're going to try to let it flow on through life and just forget about it. The, the problem is that whenever there's a justice, a, a, an injustice, whenever we're hurt, whenever we're offended, there's, there's a little gap that's created between myself and the other person. If I hurt you, there's a gap. If you hurt me, there's this gap. And if we pretend that it didn't happen and there's this distance or this gap that's created, then uh, the relationship sort of becomes plastic. And we don't, we don't really relate honestly in a real way. So uh, we might be close. We might even live in the same house. But there's this distance. There's this gap between us. Option two is we can punish the injustice in some way or try to pay them back without mercy. Now, that's the extreme. I just threw in the without mercy because that's like the extreme, you know. But they hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to give them a cold shoulder. I'm going to say some things. I'm going to put them down. I'm going to whatever. I'm going to make them pay for what they've just done to me. Now, what this does is this tends to generate a never-ending cycle of payback. And we get into this in our relationships. You know, I hurt you, you hurt me back. I hurt you again, you hurt me back. We, and it's just this, this cycle. And what happens when you do that, when you get into payback, is the gap just keeps getting wider and wider and wider. It never closes. Because the way we look at it, whatever you do to me is way worse than what I've done to you. I, I didn't quite pay you back the way you deserved, but you know, I, did, I did pay you back. So the, the gap just keeps getting wider. Now, option three is what we're going to dig into today, and that's what God did with us. It's an amazing thing what God's done with us, and that's what we're going to look at because God experiences the tension between love and justice in his relationship to people, to human beings, the people that he's made. He experiences the same tension. He, he loves us. He wants to have a great relationship with us. But we've rebelled against him. And we've gone our own way. We've decided to do life independent of him. Now, when somebody makes you, when you're someone who's made, a maker, it's only right for the one who's made to do what his maker wants. So by rebelling, this is an injustice to God. So he experiences injustice in our relationship with him. God gave us freedom. He wanted us to be able to choose whether or not we love and serve him. And when we chose to go our own way, it's actually an injustice to the one who made us. This separated us from God. And it created the same tension between us and God that exists in our relationships with people that we live and work with. We, we offend each other, and there's this justice gap that we keep trying to close. Here's the amazing thing about God. How do you think he resolved the tension? What, what do you think he did? to close the gap and resolve the tension between love and justice. Look at Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself 
and became, uh, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God humbled himself and became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and absorbed the payment for the injustice on our behalf. That's amazing. God himself chose humility to close the gap between ourselves and him. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. He loves us immensely. And because he can't just pretend it didn't happen. Because justice flows. It's who he is. It's a part of his character. It flows out of him. So when we decided to rebel, there was this dilemma. You know, he loves us. He made us to relate to him and love him back, but we didn't. And so justice needed to be served. And he couldn't pretend that justice didn't need to happen, that the injustice didn't occur. So if he were to overlook the wrong done, chaos would ensue because he set the boundaries in place that he has, the right and wrong, and he said, this is sin, this is not, this is good, this is sin. Uh, He said that because um, he wanted our good. He did that for our own good. He he gave the boundaries he did in the scripture for, for our good. So since he is gracious, he upholds the expectation for justice, but meets the expectation for justice by taking the punishment himself. That is, that's amazing what God has done for us. And so God's example in Christ becomes the model for the way that we keep it together in relationships. What he's done is what we're to do. If you've decided to follow Christ, if you're a Christ follower, then we follow his lead. And we do the same thing. You find out in Scripture that unity is one of God's top priorities in his family, in his church. Unity. Very, very important to God. It's, it's, it's close to his heart. And Christ followers are commanded over and over and over again, and you see this all through the scriptures. We're commanded to do whatever it takes to maintain unity, to keep it together. We're told that when we realize that we've veered off the unity highway, we're to step on the pedal, hit it to the floor, and move as as, quickly as we can toward unity. This is important to God. This is crucial in his eyes. So how do we do that? God has shown us that humility is the way to speed toward unity. Humility is the way that we do that. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager, that word actually means speed, speeding to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this is how it flows. This is, humility is the way that we get moving toward, humility, uh, toward unity. If you're going to maintain unity with others, someone is going to have to absorb the pain and close the gap. Someone's got to do that. Humility is the attitude that gets us moving toward unity. 
it's, it's the attitude that puts us in the frame of mind to begin to work toward unity, toward repairing what's gone on, toward closing the gap between us. Humility means to defer. It means to, to yield the right away. To it, it practically means that I consider others better than myself. I know, I know that we're all equal in God's eyes, but I, I put them above me in the sense that I'm, I'm going to consider them better than me, and I'm going to try to figure out what's best for them and the relationship and the group in the midst of this, this conflict, this tension that we're trying to resolve. Now, our first native reflex often is to power up. You know, we get hurt. We, you know, who, who do they think they are to talk to me that way? What are they, what are they doing with, you know, why did, you know, they're going to, dis, they're going to drop the ball on me, I'll show them. You know, we power up in pride to seek justice. After all, we deserve. <laughs> we deserve justice. But when we mete out justice for ourselves, we cause more damage and distance, and the gap keeps growing wider. Starting with an attitude of humility, however, is what gets us moving toward unity. Gentleness follows humility in this passage. It follows it. It's also translated sometimes meekness. Sounds like weakness, but it has nothing to do with weakness. The word gentleness, Jesus showed us this. The word gentleness is a frame of mind that keeps my power under control to use it for the best interests of the people around me. So it's, I'm gentle, and I have a lot of power, but I keep it under control to use it for good, to accomplish what God wants to be accomplished in this situation. Jesus showed us that, and that's, what, that's the meaning of that. So humility starts it, gentleness follows it, patience and bearing with follows also, because anytime you're in relationships, you've got to bear with, you know. If somebody's driving you crazy, you know, kind of like, oh, I can't take it anymore. They just said that again the same way they always say it, you know. If you stop, they're probably thinking something similar. Okay, so both sides of the relationship are having to um, bear with. It's just the way it is. This is also crucial, though, uh, if we're going to continue to relate to others over time and enjoy one another in spite of the hurts and the disappointment and the, and the offenses that come. It's humility that helps us to, to be gentle and patient and bear with people around us. In humility, we remember, you know, we could have done the same thing, or, or we have done the same thing, or worse. And if we haven't done the same thing, we sure could. And if you don't, if you don't think you could have, then um, need to go back to rethinking your, your capabilities. But humility is the first move toward resolving tension in a wholesome way. I like that word, wholesome. It's the first move toward resolving the tension in a wholesome way. You know, I, I think of wholesome as wholesome goodness, like bread. I think there was an ad some, some time in my childhood where it's like, or maybe milk, wholesome. It's wholesome. It's good for you. That's actually what it means. It means promoting health or well-being of mind or spirit. So something that's wholesome, just it, it, it's really helpful for living life in a really good, pleasing, healthy way. Humility is the first move toward resolving tension in a wholesome way. 
That doesn't mean that destructive patterns aren't going to need to be confronted. It means that we approach any confrontation or any correction in humility, not pride. When people are doing things that offend us or doing things that hurt themselves or there's a pattern that we just can't let go and we've got to talk it out with them, we approach it, we talk it through, uh, not out of pride, not out of a desire to pay them back, but out of a duty, out of love for them and a sense of duty that I, re- I really need to let them know what's going on or I need, to, I need to talk this out so we can continue in the relationship. I'd like to show you the end of that, that clip from the war uh, just to see how it turned out. You know, they were in the middle of a, a potential fight there. I'd like you to see the end of it. Like a drunken skunk! What'd you say to me? I will break your neck, you little... Dad! Dad! Fred, I can't allow you to put your hands on my son. You don't see me correcting your children. I don't mind so much. You plowing into my car and I don't take offense if you calling me names, but you go after my child, you're gonna push a button on me and then I'm gonna lose control and kill you. I apologize to my son. I apologize. It's mighty kind to you. My son has something to tell you. Apologize to Mr. Lip Nicky Stu. Tell him you're sorry for insulting him. Sorry, Mr. Lip Nicky. Pretty good resolution. Okay, he didn't believe in fighting, but he did believe in protecting his son. So he, he did step in when he needed to. When he was pressed, he was willing to use force. But obviously, he was, it was, he was gentle. The power was under control. And he aimed toward forgiveness on both sides. You know, not perfect textbook case. Sort of forced apology. <laughs> but he did aim toward forgiveness. It was a picture of where we want to go. Uh, we, we never confront others for selfish reasons, but for the good of the relationship or the good of the other person or the good of the group that you belong to, like the church. Um, Christ followers do what Jesus did. And what he did is he humbled himself, he absorbed the pain personally, to forgive and bring unity. An amazing example to us. He was doing, Jesus was doing, uh, since he is God, he was doing what's close to the heart of God, taking the pain so that we could be reunited with the Father and enjoy unity in his family. This is very important to God. It's close to his heart. Humility is the way to speed toward unity. And forgiveness rebuilds unity when it's broken. Another key quality uh, that God pours out, he has, he's forgiving. Uh, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness 
and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This passage describes further some of the ways that our relationships get messed up when we choose attitudes and responses that are destructive. And if we're not careful, our friendships and our family relationships are in serious danger once we let bitterness take root. In this passage, we're told to get rid of it. Literally, bitterness is um, like a poison. And it, it gives you, it's acrid, it's an acridity, is the literal translation of bitterness. It's like the first taste of Sour Patch Kids. I don't know if you've ever tasted this. It's, it's acrid. <laughs> you know, you have to suffer through that to get to the good stuff. And um, more, more destruction flows once the bitterness has begun to take root in us. Once the poison has taken root, then... Anger, malice, slander, all kind of stuff break loose because bitterness is like cancer. The longer we let it sit in us, the more damage it does. And so we've got to get rid of it. We've, we've got to learn to, to get rid of it. Bitterness breaks down relationships, but forgiveness restores unity. The description of how to counter bitterness is very helpful. Um, when we experience in, injustice especially, it's very, very helpful. In verse 32, once... We stop drinking the poison of bitterness. Uh, we're encouraged to be kind, which means to be useful. It actually means to stoop down and help somebody with their goals. That's what it means to be kind. And then tender-hearted uh, literally means your inside. So you let what somebody else is going through get to you on the inside, in your gut. It affects you. You know, when you're, when you're in pride, what people are going through doesn't affect you. There's a wall up. But humility opens up the opportunity to experience what another person's going through and feel with them. And it's kindness and having a tender heart toward others that flows out of humility. Humility and forgiveness then work together because you want to forgive someone you were, when you realize you could have done the same thing. You've been through the same kinds of experiences or you could have said the same thing. You, you've actually done that yourself, maybe. Humility sees life from the other person's perspective, and God uses this to propel us toward forgiveness as we do that. It's like I, I've learned, you know, I've driven the freeways for years now, and uh, whenever I get upset with somebody who cut me off and really have a bad attitude toward them, I know what's coming. I've learned this. I'm going to do something stupid pretty soon. I try, you know, I try to deal with it in here because as soon as I say it out loud to my wife, Cindy, I know it's coming. I'm going to, a few miles down the road, I'm going to do something stupid, and uh, that's just going to happen. But I'm trying to learn in my 50s here that I do the same things that other people do on the freeway to me, and in life, it's the same way. During the wrap-up of these messages, what we've been looking at or the Church in the Valley Heart Attitudes. There are, there are core relational values here. And we've decided as members, this is how we're going to relate to one another, by these heart attitudes. Last week, we looked at the first two. And um, they are uh, put the goals and interests of others above my own. And number two is live an honest and open life before others. And we don't do these perfectly. 
But they're the core of what we're working toward in relationships, and they flow out of these character traits that we're talking about that are a part of who God is, character that he wants to build in his children that flows into these attitudes that show up in our actions and the way we treat each other. So we covenant to work toward these. Like I said, we don't do it perfectly, but we work toward them in the way we relate to one another. They flow out of integrity, love, humility, and forgiveness. And there are seven. Today we're looking at three and four. Humility is at the core of heart attitude number three, which is to give and receive scriptural correction. We all have blind spots. Things about us that we can't see. Things that we're doing that are maybe causing damage to others that others can see and know about that we don't know about. Humility reminds us that I don't see what I don't see, and I need help. I need the help of people to help me see that. Out of love, we help each other because no one wants to walk through life with blind spots that cause pain and keep, keep us crashing into the same patterns that, that are damaging ourselves and go against what God really wants for us, His best. So to give correction and to receive it is to practice humility. To give correction to others literally means to exhort or urge, and it carries the idea of coming alongside of someone and urging them to move forward, to keep moving forward, to claim the life God's promised for us. That's what it means to, to uh, encourage, to correct. This, this takes humility because whenever you do that, you're taking a risk and you have to sort of put the person in the relationship and their needs above your own because they might not respond that great to your correction. It, it means that you value the person and the relationship enough to work through it. And what we try to encourage people to do is 95% encouragement, positive, 5% correction, because we all have these needs. But at Church of Valley, everybody has a whistle. And as we see people, you know, walking through life and there's... there's uh, patterns, things they don't see about themselves, we really want to love them by sharing correction. So when we receive correction, that's obvious, we have to choose humility to see something we may not have ever seen or known about ourselves. So we have to, we have to choose humility to do this. Every one of us could get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and giving and receiving correction uh, reminds us that God uses the people around us to help us stay on track and not get hardened. Uh, we've been sharing some hard attitude quotes from different folks in the congregation. This one's from Lindsay Lanthrop, a life group leader who was up here earlier. Uh, one time someone pointed out to me that I was having pride in an area of my life that I had not seen as pride before. I was being prideful in the way I was talking and relating to people. This person showed me that I needed to humble myself, watch my words, and give God the glory because everything good comes from Him. Now that I see it, I am able to identify the pride and correct the wrong words and actions. This has helped me to have a better understanding of who God is and a better relationship with God and others as I choose my words more wisely. Forgiveness is the heart of the number four heart attitude is at the core of it. 
and it's to clear up relationships with others. Relationships get messed up. They, they just do. It's a fact. Um, we're going to let people down. We're going to say things that hurt. We're going to do things that hurt. We're going to overlook someone. The list can go on and on. Um, if, if there's an offense between ourselves and someone else, Jesus says that clearing the relationship—sorry, the relationship up—that's tough to say. Relationship up, clearing it up, should go to the top of the priority list. The very, very top. It's important to him. It's important to God. Unity matters to God. For me personally, when I ask for forgiveness for wrong I've done, and they give me forgiveness, it moves me closer to the person. It ties our hearts together in a specific way. Nothing mends like asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness. This is what God's done for us. We're practically applying the tender-hearted command in Ephesians 4. Here's another heart attitude story that shows the value of clearing up relationships. Um, this is in reference to heart attitude number four, clearing up relationships. It saves friendships. Had a misunderstanding on the phone with a good friend. Since the next day, I had misread her reaction to what I said. Emailed her to ask if we could talk again. We did. She is also committed to heart attitude number four, but I was, of course, nervous. Any hint of conflict conflict for me in the past sends me thinking worst-case scenarios. We had our second conversation, talked it out until we were clear on what the misunderstanding was and clarified what each meant. I was so grateful to have a friend who would give me the benefit of the doubt, work towards peace, and who loved me enough and cared enough about the relationship to make things right. What could have divided our friendship and perhaps our family strengthened our friendship because of what God asks us to do, clear things up. That's from Joyce Sprankel, who's a life group leader. God is working to grow his kids in character like him, just like his. And as we grow in humility and a forgiving spirit, we become more and more of a blessing to the people around us. And that's where he's taking us if you decide to, to follow Christ. I'd like to wrap up the message by looking at some next steps this morning. If you would, pull out the connection card that's in your program. On the back of that, there are some next steps related to the message. There are also some other things. If you haven't had an opportunity to finish completing any information on that card, uh, maybe you want to take the time to do that now. The, the offering will be coming by uh, in a few moments. And here are my suggestions on next steps. First one, memorize Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That would be a great verse to memorize if you haven't already. And then the second step, choose humility as I work through a conflict this week. Maybe, maybe you're in the midst of a conflict, there's some tension, love and justice. You, know, you love this person, but boy, you really want to let them have it. Choose humility. Maybe someone's come to mind as we've talked through this, this passage, these passages and this message. Set your heart to approach them in humility this week. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, the truth that you show us in your word and the way that following you really opens up the best kind of life for us. Thank you for your kindness, your tender heart toward us. 
You love us deeply. You took the pain for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for absorbing uh, the pain of our penalty. And may we, God, learn to live like you and choose humility and a forgiving spirit in our relationships. Help us to do that today and this week and in the months and years ahead. We ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.